Hello, Paul. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to this very special Breaking Bad edition of the Empire Podcast. We would have called it an Empire Badcast, but frankly, we don't want to give you guys any ideas. I'm joined by Las Poyas Hermanos, Ali Plum, Nick the Simlian, and Dan Jolin, and we'll be chatting about the show that, quite simply, is the best in the box right now. Let's assume that if you're listening to this, then you are a Breaking Bad fan. You'll know that it's a relatively simple tale of a high school chemistry teacher named Walter White who's diagnosed with terminal cancer and he decides to use his chemistry skills to earn money for his family by manufacturing crystal meth with a former student, Jesse Pinkman, played by Aaron Paul. Things don't go so smoothly, though, and across the course of four amazing seasons thus far and... I guess, half of one fifth season. Walter has gone, as showrunner Finn Gilligan often says, from Mr. Chips to Scarface, becoming a shaven-headed, goatee-sporting criminal mastermind nicknamed Heisenberg, surviving numerous attempts in his life and always staying just one step ahead of his brother-in-law, Hank Schrader, who's a DEA agent. With the launch of Netflix UK of the first eight episodes of the fifth and final season, we thought we'd take a trip down memory lane and discuss our favourite moments and characters and the impact of Breaking Bad. But first... We thought we'd have a chat with Mr. White himself. Brian Cranston has seen his career transformed by Breaking Bad, formerly best known as the dad on Malcolm in the Middle. Cranston was cast as Walter after working with Gilligan on a sixth season episode of The X-Files and in just four short years has been arguably the best actor on TV, picking up three consecutive Emmys and crafting a character that's hugely compelling, prideful, arrogant, at times despicable and yet almost always someone for whom you can root. Cranston's seen his movie career kick up a notch or ten as well and he talked about that and much, much more with myself and Dan Jolin recently. FYI, if the sound in this seems patchy, we had to re-record some of our questions due to technical difficulties. All I'm going to say, magnets were involved. And uh, one more thing, this interview discusses events leading right up until season five, so don't listen to it if you haven't seen the end of season four. In fact, don't listen to this podcast at all if you haven't seen up until season four. Seriously, stop listening and come back when you have. Sorry, Dempster breaks. Here's Brian Cranston. We're delighted to be joined by Mr. Brian Cranston. Now, Brian, we were planning and asking all our questions by you know, rearranging bacon on a plate. Ah, very nicely done, yes, yes. You'd have to have a lot of bacon as well. Uh, have you started doing that with your bacon in real life? Rearranging my bacon? I beg your pardon? <laughs> um, no, I thought that was unique in and of itself, the first, uh, the first, very first episode of Breaking Bad, and they put the 50 on there. But now it's an indicator of, of uh, the, that the time has gone by. You know, there was 51, and now there's 52. So I, I don't think Walter White's going to see a 53 i think that's his time is up how much do you know about what's coming up i don't know i don't know anything i have no idea i in the very first season i started uh reading the outlines of the subsequent episodes and it misinformed uh what i was doing on that particular episode Uh, so the twists and turns that walter white is going through are so specific and so much in the now that it didn't help me. So I never asked. And so I've just kept that policy. So here we are now about to start the last eight episodes of the entire series. And I have no idea how it's going to begin or end in those eight episodes. So, Do you know the uh, the general arc of, of where things were heading from, from the very beginning? I did know the, the broad strokes of what was going to happen. When I met with Vince Gilligan the first time, uh, he said he wants to, as he you know often says, I want to take a, a person from Mr. Chips to Scarface. And so he wanted to, to see if it's possible. And, it was, and he was readily admitting that it was experimental. He said, I don't know if it's going to work. I honestly don't. And when you think about it, the, the history of television was always about stasis, things that stay the same. People would tune in. There he is, the guy I love, you know, whether it's Masterpiece Theater, whether it's, you know, Magnum P.I., whatever, whoever it is, they always stayed the same. This was always about changing, constantly changing. So it's experimental. We didn't know if it was going to work. On some levels, it only works to a specific audience because it changes so rapidly and makes people uncomfortable watching it. So it's never, Breaking Bad is never going to be a massively watched show because of that. It's a very specific taste and flavor to it. Um, well, going back to the to the very first episode, I really love the way uh, that by the end of that episode, uh, Walter had set himself up. I mean, he'd gone from school teacher to meth manufacturer in about 60 minutes. The most critical episode of any show is the very first one because it has to give an indication of where it's going. You don't necessarily have to see exactly where it's going and you don't necessarily have to know all the players in depth 
but you have to see it flavor, a taste, an imag- a, 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 you know, an introduction to the other characters, and oh, I and allow the audience to wonder, to see if they're right, if that's going to be that. This person's going to become the antagonist to that, and this person, you know. So in the very first episode, it, it had to introduce the concept of where this was going to go, and here's this man who was. You know, in a midlife crisis, a lot of awful things are happening to him. He's he's got a special needs son. He needs to have a second job. He he has this terminal uh, lung cancer diagnosis. You felt sympathy for him. And he makes this decision because he wants to do something, altruistic reasons, wants to help his family once he's gone. Very simple plan. And yet in the back of your mind, you're going, this this is not going to turn out well. What could possibly go wrong? Have there ever been moments uh, like letting Jane die in season two or poisoning Brock in season four where you think Walter has just gone too far? Well, see, simply by asking that question, you're reverting back to the history of television viewers in in expecting and needing to follow and approve of the protagonist's journey. Yeah. We, we keep thinking, how are we supposed to like him? Experienced journalists are saying, how are we supposed to like Walt now? And I say, are you supposed to? Is there a rule that says you can't change? We all have people in our lives who were close to us at one time or... A family member who you, you gather and you see them and all of a sudden as you become adults you go I don't really like this person and you see yourself separating from that and it, it this is it this is allow yourself to separate despite the history despite what your other family members would say oh he's not a bad guy you know he's a, uh, so it's allowing yourself to and and that's what the great thing about breaking bad is allowing to evoke emotions in in a variety of of viewers to let them feel what they want at first you might think and a lot of people say i hate skylar uh, what a sh- i hate she's why because she was a thorn in the side of walt in what he was trying to accomplish and we wanted walt to accomplish that if you broke that down and looked at it yeah. wait a minute we want Walt to become a crystal meth dealer and what that's what I'm rooting for you know it's like and and what is she really why do I hate her because she loves her husband she knows he's lying to her she she's nervous for the safety of her family those are bad things uh, I, and it confuses people and so the allegiance start to change and shift and that's the brilliance of the writing of Breaking Bad I mean, the, the show is incredibly morally complex, and I, and I love that. And it, I love the fact that Walter is a clever guy. He uses his intelligence over his strength. It's not that he couldn't use his physique, because now he's a very proud, very strong man. No. <laughs> but, he's, you know, but he's also a man who's murdered. He's a man who's used a gun. He's become a man who's unafraid to draw blood should the need arise. Or has he? You know, there, there are those opportunities. What, what's happened is, and, and I was... Very uh, curious and insistent when I'm talking with with Vince Gilligan as as we we knew the broad strokes, good to bad. Okay, got it. But now the intricacies of it, the specificity of it. And I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just the physical nature that changes him, that he's going from this this milk toast person to a peacock preening and, and pounding his chest. Look what I have done. I mean, it's a very seductive thing for a man. I think that's very, I think most men would be able to look at this and relate to it. And hopefully for the women in the audience to be able to say, at least it's honest, I recognize that in men, that we, we get very basic and animalistic. Walt has become this man who is, is susceptible to hubris and greed, and his ego is very much at play now where that wasn't in the condition when we first met him. And he was this depressed man looking into a sea of apathy when he's teaching chemistry and they couldn't care less. And and we saw the little chinks in his armor just devolving. And and now it's starting to, his, his posture has changed. His, he's in command. He can intimidate for the first time in his life. These are, are very seductive elements to a man to be given these things. And so it was important for me to explore all those emotionally negative aspects of it, not just the physical danger that he's created for himself or his family, but but those those things that 
ego-driven, maniacal things that force us to do things that are not plausible. We, we've come to know Walt as a very pragmatic man. But when ego and when emotion comes into play, we do things that, in retrospect, you go, why did I do that? What, what you know? But you were emotionally driven. So, so has the Walter White from that first episode, has he gone? I think the full spectrum of emotion is available to every human being. We're born with it. It could be dormant. It could be untapped completely. In fact, most people are not even aware of it, but it's there. Think of a, of a, new, of a new child attending preschool, three years old or whatever. Every child is taught to be good. It's not innately good. People like to think that human beings are, oh, we're innately good. No, we're taught to be good. That's not yours. Share. Otherwise, we are completely self-centered. I want that. I'm going to do this. I want to make noise. I, you know, we're taught to behave. We're taught right from wrong. If we're wrong, we're punished for being wrong. We're, we're, it's drilled into us from a very early age. So if that child was left to their own devices, what would happen to, you know, influence that it could be the worst of all of us and becoming a criminal? So it's there. It's just not tapped. And what happened through the set of circumstances for Walter White is that that capped volcano exploded and spewed his emotion. That's what we're seeing now. Walt's uncomfortable. He, he spews his emotions because he hasn't been accustomed in his adult life to be able to tame it and deal with it. His aggression, his, it's, it's going all over the place. So it's, he's a bit messy, actually. Is it fair to say that, that Breaking Bad has opened more doors for you now uh, in terms of cinema, um, in terms of Hollywood? Uh, I mean, I've got a list here, you know, John Carter, Total Recall, Drive. Oh, because of Breaking Bad. And that's good, right? It's fantastic. But I didn't, I didn't do it because of that. You know, I think that's the, the thing is that, it, you know, what I tell young actors is there's components that you need in order to become successful as an actor, a writer, director, anything in the arts. As a sculptor, as a musician, you need talent, you need perseverance, you need patience, but you also need a healthy dose of luck. Without luck, you will not be successful. And so people are like, wow, what does that mean to me? Well, it means that. It's just there has to be a break. You have to have a chance. Someone has to open a door and say, okay, I got five more minutes. And then you got to be ready. You got to go in there and be able to do what you do and show them what you do. Uh, otherwise, it's not lucky if you're not prepared. Um, and you need that. You need that break. You need a mentor. You need someone who can help. But ultimately, it's going to be up to you and your talent to be able to show through. Um, there's a lot of talented people who will never achieve success in their in their discipline because they didn't get a lucky break. As well as Malcolm in the Middle, was one of your lucky breaks the X-Files episode you did that Vince Gilligan wrote? Without doing that X-Files episode, I wouldn't be here right now because he was my champion to get this role. There was that X-Files episode. He wrote a character who he felt had the same kind of qualities that Walter White needed to have. Doing dastardly deeds, and yet still somehow somewhat sympathetic. You still kind of feel. And so he wanted to have that kind of performance because he knows, he knew early on, I'm going to make him do some horrible things and challenge the, you know, it's like, do you like me now in the first season? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we still like him. Second season? Okay, he's doing this. How about now? Yeah. It's almost like being, yeah. well, I, I know, I, I still like him, uh, you know. And now third season, now you're, I don't know if I like him anymore. It makes people uncomfortable. It's the first series in, in the history of television that has done this, to change a character. And it, it makes people uncomfortable. But you're, you're destined to watch because it's like, oh, because now you're invested. If someone tuned in to the fifth season or fourth season of Breaking Bad, they wouldn't have had that history. They wouldn't be as tied in and invested as they were if you started from the beginning. You have that history with the character. And that's what's needed. So I tell people, if, I've heard it's good, but I go, just watch the first episode. And then you'll know if it's something that you would like to watch. If not, don't start at the fourth season or fifth. Don't, don't do that. Go back to the number one. And they, and they usually say, oh, I don't want to, all those hours. I, no, it's just one hour. One hour? Yeah. Just the very first episode. Just one hour, that's all. It's like it's like a drug dealer giving a, a free taste, right? It's like, this one's free. Free? Oh, I'll try it, you know? And then it's like, I, 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 I. 
I'll do whatever I can to get more. That's some of my favourite moments on the show uh, so far have been your one-to-ones with Gus. Um, what was it like working with uh, Giancarlo? Well, it's, you know, he's he's a, a brilliant actor, but even a, a, a more impressive person. He's a very, he's so unlike that character. Giancarlo Esposito is, a, is a, an embracing, engaging, sensitive man who looks you in the eye and when he asks you how was your day it's not meant as a passing by comment it's meant how are you are you okay are you good is everything you know and he'll ask me about my daughter and I'll ask him about his children and and it's and so but like when he works when he works he's like a shark there's a film I'm telling you there's a there's a film that goes over his eye that deadens his eyes and and it made it easier for for me to work with him and and truly be intimidated by him. And then you try to shake it, you know, so that we'd see each other in the morning and we would rehearse, but we wouldn't actually, you know, get so into it until after the end of the day. And then we kind of shake away our that day, you know. But uh, he's a wonderful actor, and and going in, you know, we knew that there was going to be an end to that at some point, and because. It was it my my show basically. Um, it's kind of like, but wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool if if next time there's a show that you go, you're following the lead, and all of a sudden the the antagonist kills the protagonist, and now he's the star of the show. I mean, wouldn't that be oh, what just happened here? Just completely change it and just throw it out. What we know to be our our history of television watching. Uh, you know, watching shows like Breaking Bad and Dexter, people always talk about the big bad these days, and that was obviously Gus Fring through seasons three and season four. But now it's Walt that's becoming the big bad. Um, so how does that feel? And can we look forward to a confrontation between the new big bad and Hank? Very much so. You realize that that we know it's Breaking Bad. It's not going to be breaking, oh, breaking suddenly good. <laughs> but I will have people say, is, is, there, is it possible that this show could end up, you know, okay? Is, is it possible that, that Walt can, you know, have redemption? Or is I go, I suppose it's possible, but is that necessary for you? It makes people uncomfortable. They go, how, I'll have experienced journalists going, how are we supposed to like Walt now? How is that possible? Like a challenge. And I go, are we supposed to? Where is it written that we... And it's like, well, just, you know... And um, it is. It, it's, it's a dilemma. But it's not a dilemma for us because as an actor, I want to fully embrace the possibility of going anywhere. Uh, in, in grade school and, and through high school, I remember the need and the desire to be the same because I didn't want to stick out. I didn't want to have people pointing to me or I kind of wanted to go with the flow and, and un- try to figure things out as you go. And then when you get out of high school, you, you fight like hell to be distinctive and to change that. And that's certainly for an actor. You want to be able to open up. And what I realized is that what I was deathly afraid of in, in school about being vulnerable or, or um, sensitive or frightened or all those seemingly negative attributes, what the result is, is that if you show vulnerability as an actor, whether I'm literally or figuratively naked on stage, it's not a, it's not a humiliating. There's, there's no finger pointing. You, people embrace that because they, set, they sense a sensitivity and a vulnerability. And human beings want to protect that. So by showing yourself emotionally raw, figuratively, literally naked is the opposite of what I thought it was in school. And, and it's the courage of, of any artist to be able to open up and allow that to come into their lives. But if you had a choice for Walter's character, you know, say, for example, you had a choose between him going to prison or lonely death from the return of cancer or even a hail of bullets, what would you go for if you had a direct say in things? I don't have a say in things. Um, I don't want to have a say in things. And I honestly, my, my, because I don't ask what's going to happen, I haven't. I haven't thought much about uh, I thought about what the possibilities are because out of curiosity. Um, I don't have a particular desire to of any of it. Uh, my hope, and it, it sounds like it's a cop-out answer, but I honestly mean this, because I've always been 
almost like a viewer on the receiving end, waiting a week before I start shooting it, before I realize what's happening. In season four, in the penultimate episode, when, when Jesse comes to me and says, you poisoned him, you did it. I had not read the last episode. So when I'm defending myself, I'm earnestly defending myself, thinking, why would I do that? What possible reason would you have for me to poison a boy? It doesn't make any sense. And then, but who would make sense? Who's done that before? Oh, my God, he's been ahead of us every, st- you know, and that's logic. And then I read the last episode. I go, who? <laughs> oh, I see. I want this series to end exactly how Vince Gilligan wants it to end. I hope he finds exactly the the exact point to tell. And I won't know what that is until about five days before we shoot it. So are you looking forward to life after Breaking Bad? I, I hope so. <laughs> Do you know something? You mean professionally, not personally? Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 this, this unique show, very select show that is is only attraction attracted by a very select group of people really truly when you think about it um a small audience but it's the audience you want it's other artists it's actors and writers and directors and producers who are absolutely fanatical about it and want uh, other artists i am going to meet uh, their bands musicians and it's like oh my god i love you know and if i can I can take them away on a story that's fantastic that I'm a part of that. Mm. Um, but I'm very much of, of a person, and like I said, talked about luck, that I don't project beyond. I, I've learned early on to, to embrace where I am. I tried to teach that to my, my kids on Malcolm in the Middle, that this is a very rare thing. We have a success of a, of a show. Uh, it's almost impossible because they're kids, you know. Now, in retrospect, to talk to him, oh, man, that was so much fun back then. I was like, yeah, it was. I am right here right now. You know, uh, I love this show and I will completely and fully embrace it and be in that moment until it's time to say goodbye. And it will be time to say goodbye. And usually it's unlike any other business where usually if you're working in a workplace environment and someone leaves, we have a going away party for Jim. He's going, see a Jim, but he's the only one going, you know. This is, we all go. It's a very interesting, it's like a company dissolving. And that's, not many people experience that. We've been experiencing that, if you're an actor, time and time and time again. You get very intense, very involved with people, and then you have to let go. There's talk of a movie with yourself and Vince. How likely is that, or are you just messing with us? No, it's not messing with us, but you'll see how how the, the game goes, is that... Uh, on a red carpet one time we were talking about the show and someone said um, you know thinking of you met Vince on X-Files and they've made a a few X-Files movies would you like to do a Breaking Bad movie I went hey you know that would be great I I don't know how it's going to end so I don't know who's going to be left alive if they Breaking Bad, the Holly White story, the story of a little girl. Maybe that's the only one left living. Who knows? And I said, well, yeah, but it, I said, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do a movie if there, if there was a story there. If That wouldn't be a bad idea. And so then from then, it's like, I hear you want to make a movie. And it's like, well, no, I don't want to. It's all about if it's justifiable, if, there's, if it makes sense. Otherwise, no. So it's not a, a desire to do it. If... Breaking Bad ends and it comes to a perfect ending and it's like, no, that's it. Leave it alone. I wouldn't want to do a movie to try to, hey, let's do this. You know, it's like, no, I don't think so. I don't want to I don't want to piss all over something that was that I'm very proud of. And like a proud like an athlete, I want to leave and have audiences and fans say, I wish there was another year as opposed to, is that still on the air? They're, they're still showing that? You know what I mean? I want to yeah. have people miss it. How about a dead poet society like prequel? Were you teaching Jesse? You're inspiring him? To do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> to bore him silly. Mr. Pinkman. I was like, what, man? Whatever. Yo, bitch. <laughs> Walt's become a very iconic character over the years. I mean, you've got Heisenberg's hat, and we've got his his wife runs his tidy whities. Um, that's my level. That's that's basically what I focus on. Uh, was that your idea? 
the briefs. No, actually, it was in the script, and I brought it to uh, Vince's attention that I wore tidy whities on Malcolm in the Middle for seven years. And he was he said, oh, that's right, I'm sorry, go ahead and change it. So I said, okay, thanks, because I, I didn't think I should. And so I went to the wardrobe call, and I, I had very specific ideas of what I wanted to wear. And, you know, I wanted to wear clothes and colors that were like this couch, that were like the wall, that would blend in. I wanted Walt to be invisible. I, I didn't want anything unique about him whatsoever. We took the color out of my hair. We took the color out of my face. I have a ready colored Irish face, and we took it out. So just take the color out. I wanted glasses. I wanted that little mustache that was kind of impotent. And it was like, what's the point? I wanted people to go, what is who? The shoes, everything was beige and taupe and, you know. And then it came to, you know, uh, the tidy whities And it was like, well, he wrote it for a reason. And I thought, in breaking, in, in, in Malcolm in the Middle, I chose the tidy whitey underwear because I felt Hal was a boy. He was just like, he was just a bigger boy. So he would still wear boy underwear. And then I thought, for this, he wrote it for a reason. I kept wondering, what is that? And I, it, was, it, was a, it was similar, but different. And to me, I finally realized, if he, I, Walter White stunted his maturity and growth at a certain point. He didn't care. He had hair. I wanted my hair to look like I always needed a haircut, much like yours. And... <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's a, this is my midlife crisis. <laughs> yeah, see, look, I got plenty of hair. Um, so I want. I looked at it. And I thought, no. What if he just didn't care anymore? He didn't care. He look at his his wardrobe. He didn't care. He didn't care what his mustache looked like. He didn't care what his hair looked like. He. It just. He's depressed. And I wanted his clothes and his demeanor to to help support his emotional state. And so I thought, no, this is good. I'll, I'll go with that. And it's, it's so striking. It's so much more striking than boxers or briefs of some sort. You know, it's like, it's so, it makes such a statement. And what about the hat? Was that your idea? No, that was, uh, that was chosen for me. Um, I, I did, well, I mean, I did try on several different hats. And I, I like this one, a pork pie. There was something, there was something very specific about it. And uh, I, 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 th I felt good on my head and we took pictures and sent them back to Vince and Vince liked it as well. So it was unanimous. And have you seen any good Heisenbergs at, at Halloween? Lots of people dressing up. Yeah, I've seen a couple, a lot of pictures that people are sending to me. And you see Heisenberg, especially little children dressed as Heisenberg. That yeah, that one. That's like, these poor kids have no idea. <laughs> Mom, this itches, this bald cap, you know, and it's like, ah. But... Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's become iconic and it's almost like an inside joke because there's still the, the great majority of people don't even know. They look at something and go, I, I don't know what that is. Uh, um, what, what is I've heard of it, but I have no idea what it means or who that guy is. And that's kind of cool to like you're in a group that's like, good. You know what? If, if Breaking Bad appealed to the masses. Maybe not so interesting anymore because everybody watches it. It's like the wire, really, where where people only really started to realise how great the show was um, as it was ending. Um, I believe it's called box set viewing or something. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's also ironic that that's how people are watching it. It's almost like the drug itself. It's addicting. You try to just I'll oh, sample it, and then all of a sudden I'll take one more. I'll just let's, let's watch one more, yeah. and now it's like I gotta. And people are watching four or five episodes a day and just they're you know just addicted to it so when do you start the uh the new batch so to speak the new batch we we start the last batch of eight uh in december and we'll shoot from december through mid-march and then we're done for good that's it so all your hair that you've you've grown all this that all has to go well, this doesn't go. I mean, this. I'm growing this now. I'm doing a little movie where I'll have a full beard and hair. But come December, I shave the hair off and then shave that off and shave that off, and I'm ready to go. Doesn't take long. Hair comes off fast when you have a razor. It's like, and you're good to go. And one last question before you go, Brian. Uh, Aaron Paul was over here in London recently, and he attended a Radiohead concert with uh, Pierce Brosnan. What sort of concert would we find you at? Probably a Tony Bennett concert, you know, that radical guy who's, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's really into concerts. I actually depend on him to keep me current, like uh, Cigarose. He turned me on to Cigarose, and it's like, oh, that's cool. But I'm not much of a concert goer kind of guy. I'm a storyteller. I, I you know, I, I like music from afar, but it's not it's not something that that. You know, I have to. He got he got kicked out of the concert. Do you know that? Yeah, he was dancing and he got kicked out. And he said, "I'm going to go again and get kicked." And he's a radical. Um, but it's fun. He's a good kid. I love him, and I'll see him tonight. I think. Great to see you. Can I keep this? Is that? Sure. Okay, so that was uh, that was Brian Cranston, aka Walter White, aka Heisenberg, uh, and now I'm joined by Nick, Ali, and Dan. Dan. We met Heisenberg. We did. It's great. Honestly, he was a treat to talk to. So uh, let's, let's start with uh, Walter uh, in our big Breaking Bad conversation that we're going to have now. Is he the most compelling character on TV right now? Or are there more compelling characters even within Breaking Bad? What are your thoughts? I think he's not my favourite character. I think my favourite character is Saul Goodman. Mm-hmm. He's my favourite <laughs> character because he has my favourite lines uh, in the whole thing. But he is unique, as he says in the interview. The character of Heisenberg, or, you know, Walter White turning into Heisenberg, is the slowest of slow drips. It is not... There's an instant hit in the first episode, as he says. You get to the point where you know he's breaking bad. But it's not... He doesn't give it to you. It's funny, actually, that show. As I remember in the first season, it got quite formulaic. The episodes get quite formulaic. with what they, Him and Jesse get into a scrape, and they have to use science to get out of it. And I remember thinking during the first season, I thought, is this just what the show's going to be from now on? It's going to be a problem of the week or a science solution of the week kind of a thing? It's a really good ad for chemistry, isn't it, the show? It makes you want to learn things about magnets and uh, chemicals and stuff. What it does really make, make you want to do is actually cook crystal meth and sell it, because that looks really dangerous. Yeah. Not, just, not just from the fumes, which the show is, you know, apparently is quite dangerous, quite toxic, but also you're liable to get killed. And that's what I quite like about the show. I don't really remember it being that sort of science problem of the week that you're talking about but mm. I do remember it being it's, it's, just one of these, it's, it's about four episodes three or four episodes in a row uh-huh. and then it broke free free of that okay well yeah. I always remember it being quite an interesting introduction into the the world of, of, of drug dealing and I like the fact they had that stuff early on because this is a guy who doesn't have any street now so he's not a gangster he doesn't have a gun so all he has is his knowledge of science and, yeah. and that kind of stuff yeah and he uses that very resourcefully yeah. to and get himself out of situations so I don't think it was mm. it was a MacGyver type thing I think it's just showing how this guy is surviving and taking on bad guys at their own mm. game. But when did we when did we first discover Breaking Bad? For me, I, I came to it quite late. I think came to it when season four was happening. I, w- I was late to it as well, so I watched series one to three pretty fast on Netflix. Just kind of raced through it. Does that mean I saw it first out of everyone here? Are you the early adopter? Oh, you're that you're that guy, God. aren't you? No, no. Actually, no. I'm genuinely surprised. It's it's not meant as a boast at all. You know what? I actually thought to myself, I'll wait till this gets popular and I have to watch it, uh, <laughs> which is what I think I did actually. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. Now I think about it. Yeah. So I think in the third season, Eve, who has since left Bower Towers, kind of forced me at uh, you know finger gunpoint to watch it. So <laughs> I, I did. But I think the first season is very interesting, not just because it obviously sets up the whole premise of the show naturally but because it was curtailed by the writer's strike. It was it is shorter than it should have been. And Vince Gilligan has said, the creator of the show, obviously, has said that it was going to be much quicker. He would have got worse. He'd have broken bad quicker if it weren't for the fact that he had to slow it down to accommodate the fact that he had few episodes to play with mm. in that first season. I think it's also interesting, I think Nick and I were talking about this earlier, about who was considered for the Walter White role way way back it wasn't always going to be Brian Cranston though the idea in my head of it not being Brian Cranston makes me feel quite sick um, it's John Cusack right yeah John Cusack was the one I, that, I cannot picture that at all can you imagine John Cusack bald with a pork pie hat and a dirty <laughs> tash um, I can and it looks absolutely horrific in my head but we have the X-Files to thank for many things and, and the casting of Brian Cranston particularly in this case because Vince Gilligan uh, obviously worked on the X-Files did a very good episode where Brian Cranston played a character who has to keep driving west or his head will explode and that was a long time ago but he remembered him when he was when he was casting this up mm. so I went back to him yeah this is one of the things because I was aware of Breaking Bad because I kept hearing about it winning Emmys and I kept hearing about Brian Cranston has won the Emmy for best actor in the show Breaking Bad about a science teacher who starts making drugs you know to pay for his, his cancer treatments mm. and I kept thinking to myself well that's the guy from Malcolm in the Middle he's only seen a few episodes of it was like, really hmm. really that guy's an amazing actor and he is an amazing actor he's probably one of the best around at the moment I've never seen Malcolm in the Middle but I, I would like, now like to go back and revisit that I don't think you should 
Okay. <laughs> well, he was also the dentist in um, Seinfeld. Right. The man who inspired the phrase anti-dentite. Mm. <laughs> uh, he's the guy who becomes Jewish, converts to Judaism for the jokes. So, <laughs> so Seinfeld sitting in the chair getting his teeth done, and then he starts telling Jewish jokes. And he says, "But two months ago, you were you were Catholic. I mean, what? You can't tell that joke." I was like, "There's a pope and the rabbi, and they're on a lifeboat." Anyway, it's a very funny episode. I actually sometimes I do miss the fact that Walter has, has quit teaching. I do miss those those school scenes, especially when he was beginning to get his uh, business up and running with Jesse, and used to hide his phone in the uh, in, a little, yeah. in, in, in the ceiling and. Occasionally would maybe show signs of the the budding Heisenberg coming through in his dealings with some of the teachers. I I, I kind of miss that that, mm. that horrible rambling speech. He I love that speech. Is it uh, season Beginning three? Season after three. The, after yeah. the plane crash. Yeah. yeah. And he just gets completely carried yeah. away, loses loses himself. No, that's a, that's 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 a genius bit of writing though. That speech where he's just basically justifying himself through the speech because mm. he knows full well that that crash wouldn't have happened without him. So. He's, you know, by trying to disguise it as making the kids feel better, he's basically, you know, giving himself a, you know, letting himself off. Um, but of course, at the same time, it's just like cringeworthy. But he's incredible. You know, that's what we're talking about in terms of Walter being a very compelling character. And he's very, very good at that. He's very good at doing dastardly deeds and then somehow justifying them. The, mm. the ends justify the means very mm. much for, for almost everything Walter does, from letting yes. people die to actively killing well, people. You can apply logic to any situation, can't you? You can apply hard scientific analysis to anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, so we think he's he's one of the most compelling characters on TV but you said he's not your favourite character who is your favourite character? Well you know mine Saul Goodman You're Saul Goodman Which it blew my mind when somebody told me you know why he's called Saul Goodman it's from the phrase Saul Goodman is apparently where the idea came (laughs) from for Saul Goodman I also love that how he has his own website so you can see all his crappy adverts he's like hey have you been involved in an accident is your foot green we'll sort it out we'll speak to whatever chemical industrial accident Mm. I'm all over it and you can see loads of little gags on the um, the benches on the side of the road. You see his ads yeah. there. And some of his lines are the ones that make me laugh the most. Like when he calls up um, Walt and says, it's me. We may have a wife problem. <laughs> Puts down the phone. It's, it's sad in the way because uh, as the show has got darker and darker and uh, Saul has, has appeared less and less in the program, which is a shame because he really is. He's, a, he's an amazing bit of comedy. I, I heard something. I don't know how much of a spoiler it is to say this, and if it is a spoiler, it spoiled it for me as well. Uh, I heard he's getting a spin-off show. Has yeah, anyone I, else yeah, heard this? Yeah, I, I read that somewhere. I can't, is, is that, I can't is that, see that is that, is that No? No. I think he can file that with the Jinx spin-off. Really? Okay, fine, okay. Um, or indeed the Breaking Bad movie. Yeah, or, the, or the Electra movie. I'm going to have to talk about Dean Norris because I, yes. there are so many great characters in this show. There's just one after another. And the further you go down the cast list, you remember all that. We haven't got into um, the, the Chicken King pin yet. But Dean Norris, as Hank, is astonishing. I love him. And not just because he's played a SWAT team leader in Gremlins 2 and Terminator 2, but uh, he's just fantastic in the show. And that's one of the great things about the show is you've got these two characters who are going to come to a head. And I honestly don't know which one I want to prevail. I mean, you feel for both of them. Mm, You do feel for... Yeah, it is a double-header. It's naturally set up to that, but there's so much else going on. You sometimes forget that, of course, one day they're going to have to butt heads. There's going to be trouble. And... I think what was interesting about Saul Goodman is that he always kind of fixes. There's a little bit of plot magic with him. He fixes, oh, there's a bit of trouble. There's a little bit of law magic. We'll fix that. But there has to come a point where they take each other on. But in a, in a show where there's many different varieties of grey, it's very little black and white, he is the best person, isn't he? I mean, he's the he's the most moral person in the show. Well, I'd say Walt Jr. maybe but as well. But yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you don't really Of the major major characters, yeah. Absolutely. He is the white knight. Yeah. Who largely dresses in orange, if I'm, if I'm right in thinking. Uh, I don't know, because it, 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 it almost fascinating. Almost every single character has their own colour scheme. Which That's is, absolutely which is really right, yeah. And so Hank is, is great, especially since he, I completely wrote him off in the pilot in the, in the very first episode as just mm. a, a boor. Mm. And you think, oh, what a dreadful plot to find. So his brother, the, the brother-in-law of this of this drug dealer, this nascent drug dealer, is is, is a DEA agent. And, uh, and you're the contrasting how, the yeah. square... Yes. chemistry guy yeah, with absolutely. the beer drinking with the beer swilling beer manufacturing as it turns out as well <laughs> yes. um, and you just think how is it, how are they going to keep this going for four or five seasons how is Hank not going to notice that under his nose is the biggest drug dealer in New Mexico yeah I mean you could argue that okay so we're going to we're going to have a little bit of a spoiler chat later on about uh, Dean Norris and Hank and maybe a face off with Walter who knows uh, Dan who's your favourite character well Saul I love Hank I love Mike is great 
Love him. He's like the wolf in Pulp Fiction, but even cooler. <laughs> but I'm going to actually, I am going to, I'm going to say, let's say Skylar. Because I think she gets a rough deal like most of the wife characters in these TV shows. You know, it's just like, oh, it's the nagging wife, the one that's holding them back and everything. But I think she's a very complex, Mm -hmm. very interesting character right from the beginning. Brilliantly played by Anna Gunn, who was also great in, in Deadwood, although she didn't have a chance to get properly into it with Deadwood. And I know the way that she kind of becomes complicit in what Walt's doing, yet she's also outraged the way that she sort of switches from 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 the role of victim to, to almost to, to the role of antagonist in some ways with Walt. And, you know, you kind of... It, she she confuses you as much as Walter himself does. Mm. Should you be rooting for her? Should you be aghast at what she does? Should you know? Should you be feeling that you're slightly annoyed that she's trying to hold Walter back his endeavours? But then you you also feel like there are moments of triumph when you know. And again, I, I don't want to spoil anything in, in what I've seen so far as season five. But you know, the the relationship between them is is the heart of the show and and I think uh, you know she has to be as good as Walt and Anna Gunn has to be as good as Brian Cranston for it to work so I'm saying Skylar okay interesting yeah she is phenomenal I spotted her in Enemy of the State recently when I was rewatching oh, wow. that and it kind of weirded me out it was it, the movie did, she is such a good actress I kind of just went oh you, you're better than this you're in a tiny role with a movie that's essentially based on blenders and <laughs> oh, yeah. it does revolve it, around blenders it's interesting that they have in Lady Macbeth there mm, which yes. I thought might have been the easiest, the easiest and obvious way to go but then again Breaking Bad's a show that doesn't always necessarily take the obvious way out exactly. which is grand um, okay let's, let's, let's have another big question now what's your favourite uh, episode well I thought of a moment more than an episode okay which is a Brian Cranston moment near the end of series 4 where he has an absolute breakdown and the money's gone I don't know if I want to go into too many details. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. We were there is a moment yeah. where the bottom of his life just falls out, and he's for a moment as pure despair. Mm. And I can't think of another moment that I've seen in the last year or, or two with such a great scene, mm. such a fantastic this is a scene. Where he's, he's in the uh, the crawl space, yeah, yeah and yeah. he just starts laughing. Yeah. Yes, and the camera pulls back. They had to build that set yes. especially, mm. yeah, to get and the that's just back. lodged in my mind. Yeah, as the best bit of Breaking Bad that I've seen because I just watched that. And, couldn't get out of my head for a couple of days mm-hmm. afterwards. Were you rooting for Walter at that point? Not particularly. Mm-hmm. No, I think he's he's lost it at that point, and he's become something else. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this show is essentially about a good man becoming evil. Originally, for good intention, for you know, f- he has good intentions, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. now because he likes it, yeah, he's become something yeah. else, he's and addicted he's addicted to he's, power. Yeah, and he's slowly breaking down and becoming something else. And uh, I think that moment was a huge part of that process. Cool. Th- that moment for me is one of the key moments when I, I almost feel sick when I watch Breaking Bad and that, and that makes it's it sound like really I don't tense, like it. really isn't it? No, it's... it's <laughs> it makes me feel yeah, nauseous yeah. in a kind of a bitter, anxiety yeah. way. Yeah. It, 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 it's a show, you know, Brian Cranston said so himself a couple of times in an interview, it's an addiction. And you watch it going, this is horrible. He's horrible. She's horrible. Mm. He's horrible. What they're all doing is horrible. But I love each one of them and I want them all to have their own space in this story that carries on and everyone's happy. But I know it won't. The brilliance of it is the clarity, because the the plot line, the storylines, and what's going on is quite complicated and intricate. But you know at all times what each character is after and what they're trying to do, yeah. and they just slowly close the net around people, and it's it's fantastic. Yeah, there's no there's not a bum moment in it, is there? I was watching the latest Homeland last night. I mean, God, how many bum moments could you get in one episode? <laughs> Only a matter of time before the cougar turns up. Yep. Yes. <laughs> but you know, it's 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 pretty flawless. But I'm going to answer your question. Mm-hmm. Chris with an episode I'm going to say an episode okay. and I'm going to say The Fly I believe it was called The Fly I may have got the title wrong Okay, but it's the one with The Fly it was the first one directed by Ryan Johnson that's correct in fact and it's just as a construction uh, of, of an episode you know uh, in terms of this idea that again it's Walter's going through his meltdown phase so it's quite close to your moment Nick I believe precedes it obviously and the paranoia is really setting in mm-hmm. And he just has this obsession with keeping the lab clean. There can be no impurities. And of course, there's this single fly buzzing around. But it's kind of, it almost gets strangely unreal. It's, it's, uh, it's possibly the closest I think the series has come to stepping away from reality. But I just think that was absolutely deliberate in terms of Walt's mental state. Um, you know, and it almost gets quite slapstick at some points, obviously. 
I'm a big lover of the film Brazil. There's one moment in it which really reminded me of Brazil, where we're trying to climb up and swap the fly up, up, up high, and then he falls down. And um, and, I, and I just think, um, just as a construction of, of a single episode, that was that was really good. And and I was very pleased when I saw the Ryan Johnson director credit come up on it as well, because it felt like a standout. And that's what's known as a bottle episode, isn't it? When, mm-hmm. In a show where it's set in a single location, which is usually done to save money. Yeah. But yeah, it's terrific. I think it goes outside of the lab. I don't think it's entirely set inside the lab because they arrive at the lab. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesse gets sent out, so, and they leave at the end. Right. Like, yeah, but, but yeah, I'm going to say that. So if, if I think it's called the fly, and I'm saying the fly. Okay, I I uh, I, I love it. And there's another episode which is similar to a bottle episode, is where Walt and Jesse are out in the desert and their RV breaks down. They oh yeah, that's an excellent. Mm. Which is a fantastic episode. I think it's in season two. That's that's actually the one with the line where Jesse says, "Can't you use science?" Yes, because that was the last one of that little set of, of the ones yes. in which there's a problem that he uses science and, and it actually episode. had the line can't you use science or something Indeed. it's the episode where Walter finally confesses a thing to Jesse that he has cancer and I think it's a great snapshot of uh, of, of, a, of a pleasant time in our relationship because their <laughs> relationship is a hugely fascinating one I love the fact that Jesse still calls him Mr. White hmm. after all they've been through uh, apart from a couple of notable moments obviously uh, and they're always yelling and arguing at each other and that's one of the few times when they're almost on, a, on an even keel the two of them mm. and there's a bit of yelling and arguing with each other in that episode as well mm. it's almost a sweet innocent moment in their relationship and as it gets darker and more twisted uh, you kind of look back at that one with a, with a certain fondness I've read that Jesse Pinkman wasn't set to be his accomplice throughout the five seasons or the yeah, arc yeah, of the yeah he was going to die first season which I can't get my head around he is such an integral part as to why I even like Walter at all Mm. If it weren't for Jesse Pinkman, I, I don't, mm. I couldn't associate with Walter. I think okay. he would be too foreign to me. I couldn't quite understand their banter, their bickering is what makes me realise what Walt is like in his heart. Not a total bastard. Mm. I think I want to answer your best episode question, but I can't. And I know we're going to talk about this later, so let's do best moments as well. Mm. One of my favourite moments is season three, episode two, when Walter is trying to make up with his wife, mm. and he uh, comes around to the house with a big pizza. And it's all fine because Uncle Walt's here, money <laughs> yeah. bag Walt. And then massive Barney, she shuts the door in his face. He walks out the door, throws the pizza right up onto the roof. Yeah. And that is a one take, one shot job. Yeah. Yeah. Because they had the pizza, he did it, it slings perfectly out the box, opens up the box, opens up like a mouth, spits out onto the roof, it lands flat, and he walks away. I love it. I think it might even be on the roof in the next episode I believe it is uh, yeah yeah. the other bit I love is uh, when you very very briefly see Danny Trejo and you go whoa cool he's going to be part of the show Tortuga isn't it no he's not he's (laughs) not part of the show we're not going to give you any of that and the exploding turtle and one of my favourite moments actually is from a season 3 episode is when they they go to Walter's house are finally fed up with having to wait to kill Walt and they go to his house uh, with an axe and they sit calmly on his bed while he's yeah. in the shower singing away blissfully unaware that his, yeah. his executors and they, and they pick up the uh, they find outside. the eyeball don't they they pick up the eyeball you know yeah. the, the yeah. ominous eyeball the, the teddy eyeball yeah. yeah and it's just an amazing scene then they get the phone call and they leave without a word without even saying anything to each other because they, they, they didn't do that and Walt comes out in the shower and has no idea how close he came to being killed and it's, uh, it's just a wonderful mm. moment in a really really tense season and oh. who saved him? It was Gus. Gus Fring, who we haven't even mentioned yet. Yeah, so Gus Fring. Well, my favourite, we're talking moments because Nick brought up a moment. It's a kind of a series of moments, and it's any time, and I think I said this to in, in, in the interview, but it's any time that uh, uh, Walt and Gus meet up, and it's just like these two mega minds, except obviously honed in such different ways, but two really sharp minds. And the mutual admiration, but restrained that they have for each other. And there's just that, that lovely scene where Walt just sits down in front of him and goes, look, I know what you've done. You did this, you know, you've, you've, you've engineered this situation so that Hank got shot so that you could block out the cartel and do this and that. And Gus is sitting there and his eye, his, his eye twitches, you know, you could tell he's annoyed. Walt's figured out his grand strategy. And then Walt just goes, and I respect everything that you've done. And there's, it's kind of like, you know, at that, just that one point, because obviously it all goes wrong after that. And that one point is just kind of like the, the perfect balance of, of those two intellects and characters. And, uh, and I, I always, I always relish those moments. And I thought that was a shame and inevitable. And, and it had to happen a shame. And as it would go into series four, that that never happened again. Indeed. And, and again, it's about the blandness of evil because Gus is the one guy who you would not look at 
give us yeah. a second look. Hiding in plain sight, like Waters, and that's why Hank hasn't spotted. Mm-hmm. So if we find our favourite moments, uh, it's a show that delivers a lot of shocks. What about the most shocking moment of Breaking Bad? There's quite a few, aren't there? I think, go right. let's go right back to the beginning. I think it's the one that kind of really made you realise that you were in for something that pushed it that much further, which is the acid bath. <laughs> when, when it comes, when it actually burns through the corpse, actually, the acid burns through the bottom of the bath, and the whole thing just comes down with this kind of gooey pink-red mess in it. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, that, that bit, I was just, I was just, I think I remember jumping up off my couch and just going, what the Absolutely. fuck? That episode, for me, I've in- tried to introduce Breaking Bad to a bunch of people. I definitely think it's one of the shows. I think the whole reason we're having this podcast is because we feel like it's a rare show. Not enough people watch it. We're trying to get people to get involved and get their eyeballs on it. That's the episode where many of my friends have stopped. Really? They've watched the first season as far as they could, and they got to the acid bath scene and went... That's the second episode. Is it all going to be this grim? Yeah, exactly. They go, ah, oh, that's pretty vile okay well that's that's the reckoning then isn't it that's, yeah, that's if the one that's, that's, if, if you know if you don't like that episode you don't deserve to see it then I think, <laughs> I think you're that. not allowed to watch Breaking Bad okay this is official if you do not like that episode you are not allowed to watch it there you go I've said my most shocking moment and I think when you remember it you'll agree with me is the most shocking moment is the first episode of season 4 which is the box cutter uh, episode oh yeah which is if you thought the second episode of the first season, if you thought the acid bath was bad, this gives it to you mm. by the bucketful. Mm. Blood all over the scientific research area. Mm. <laughs> Lab. And what about Walt uh, allowing certain things to happen to certain people? Did the moment with Jane, for example, at the end of season two? Oh, that's awful. I liked Jane because she also felt, though she's troubled and twisted and there are things that are wrong with her, maybe traditionally in the society sense, she was a good person. Uh, uh, she was a good person to counterbalance Jesse going bad too and when she went I was just so distraught because I needed that I needed that an interesting thing in in her house is that in her mural yeah on the top right hand corner yeah, there is a purple teddy bear yep. in the mural being wrapped up in this ribbon thing and yep. if you look throughout the show you were saying earlier that people have their own colours so Walt is kind of a beigey green and obviously Hank's wife is purple Marie, mm. yeah so very purple very purple indeed the bear crops up in many places you can see when they when you see um, I forget the name of the baby what's the name of the new baby Holly Holly she is dressed in this pink kind of bear like suit mm. in her pram not looking entirely mm. unlike a bear when we finally see mm. the dispatch of Gus he looks like the damaged bear yep there are so many of these little touches. It's this it's, 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 it's kind of the uh, the symbol of danger, isn't it, in Breaking Bad? The pink bear? Like the oranges in The Godfather? Also in yeah. Toy Story 3. Never trust a pink bear. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good well, if it had been the same bear. Could have had a bit of... Lots of hugging. Yeah, I'm sure hugging Disney bear. will buy Breaking Bad at some point and uh, have it CG'd in. <laughs> what have uh, Disney bought? Yeah. I felt with the end of four, like that could have been the end, the perfect end for the whole series, for the whole four seasons. I would have been happy if it ended at that point. Because loose knew, ends, loose ends, Ali. Oh, loose I know, ends. I know, I know. Because I knew as soon as that, that had been cleaned up, it's only going to get horrific from here. It's mm. only going to get shit. Mm. It's only going to get shit. Uh, which is Good shit. Say, it's something Good that happened shit. with uh, The Wire when it went into, because uh, David Simon didn't know there was going to be season four. So mm. season three was for him almost a, an end in itself. Dan, you have to go. You have, you have what they call in the business a hard out. I do, out. hard out. Are you going to carry on without me? Well, because we're going to talk about where we want to see the, the, the show finish. Oh, so, very, very quickly, okay. not being privy to the last three episodes of the first batch of season five, where would you like to see the show finish? You'd like to see Walt where would get I his like comeuppance? To? Where would I like to? And who would you I, like to see I, being I, left I, alive at the end, more importantly? I, I don't know. I, 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 do you know what? I actually, I, I don't have a preference. I really don't. If I'll be honest with you, and this is this sounds awful, I kind of, if you're talking about like, and I'm not saying this is dramatically satisfying, but I think Walt is the new Gus, pushing the crystal meth and 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 just basically being being triumphant and evil and brilliant. Okay. My theory uh, is. Oh, should we wait until Dan leaves? Well, I'm not going to say anything. That you sure. Gives away. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my theory is that Walt got into this whole mess to try and protect his family, and I think the the poetic way for it to finish would be for him to destroy his family by doing so. So I'm afraid to say Walt Jr. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like you have that character who hasn't really been that involved in the story so far. I, I fear for him. And, uh, you know, Skylar is, is kind of been tainted to an extent. So 
I think bad things are going to happen. I mean, it could even end up that he's left alive and everyone else is dead and he's just completely broken. No, well, that's upsetting. That would be dark. Uh, Dan, hard out. You hard leave out. and then we can talk a little bit more spoilerifically. Okay, then. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That was breaking down, okay. everybody. Goodbye. Okay, so Nick, I want to pick you up on that point, actually, because now that, now that Dan is gone, we can talk a little bit more about Season 5, and if you haven't watched the first eight episodes of Season 5, then probably it's best to stop now. We will be talking quite specifically. Uh, season 5 begins with a flash-forward. It begins with Walter on his 52nd birthday. You can uh, tell that from says, the bacon. He says it won't be a 53 uh, in our interview. Uh, take from that what you will. Mm. Uh, and he's buying a machine gun from the same arms dealer who sold him his gun. It's a bit of a Pulp Fiction moment. bit of a Pulp Fiction moment, but he's also not in New Mexico anymore. So, question is, why is he buying a machine gun? My personal theory is, people say it's because he's on the run from Hank, my personal theory is that someone has maybe got someone that Walt loves, and Walt is going to try and get them back. Yep, that's very possible. It's very hard to, to guess what he's up to with that gun I imagine yeah. whatever we guess is going to be completely wrong it isn't going to be pretty if you have a machine gun of that calibre then you're <laughs> you're going for a Scarface one which again the show is hinting at there's a moment in season 5 so far where he's actually watching Scarface and even says I think his lines actually heard off camera uh, someone's, you know, everyone dies in this movie don't they and yeah. so is that, a, is that a dark hint that we're going to that place that everyone could die Skyler Saul Walt Jr and if you're listening if you've watched season 5 then you know we've already lost someone very dear to the Breaking Bad family Mike is gone so heartbreakingly heartbreakingly so because he didn't have to die which is uh, it was uh, again yeah, Walt's yeah. hubris and pride and arrogance that, that led him to kill Mike so I don't know I mean I guess what fans want to see is Walt going up against Hank yeah and like I said it's not as clear cut as a good guy and a bad guy but ultimately if it comes down to it I want Hank to win that I was thinking about what you were saying in terms of everybody dying but Walt Jr in my mind my perfect ending would be Walt doing something that kills himself doing something he knows is going to kill himself but to sacrifice you know himself for his family you think there could be a redemption i really really hope so i'll be i'll be both very happy and very disappointed if that does happen because he has broken bad he has gone he is a bad man but there's a small part of me that hopes it does happen but at the at the end of the first batch of eight he uh, says he's he's out He's out of the business. He's going to stop cooking meth. He has more money than he could possibly spend in a dozen lifetimes, and he's out. He's given Jesse his five million. Uh, there's no connection to the, you know, the the murder of Mike. Nothing could come back to possibly haunt him, except I'm guessing it won't be that easy to extricate yourself from a multi-million dollar drug empire, will it? Especially since I imagine the people he's getting into business with, the people he's now selling his, his blue meth to, won't really care if it's not 99.6% pure. So will they let him get out that easily is my, is my question. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I just suspect the ending will not be as happy as uh, as Walt finding redemption. I don't know. Mm. It's, it's got the feeling of one of those 70s movies to me where yeah. it's going to end horribly. Well, it's, it's very much a Western. So generally most Westerns tend to end with the bad guy, the black hat, uh, slumping over in his horse <laughs> at the end of the film so that, that could well happen with, with Walt also there's an indication there's a, there's hints that his cancer may have come back So, but I can't imagine this show will be very satisfactory if it, the end is just Walter dying on his own in the hospital bed unloved and, and unattended but maybe that's the way unless the hospital bed explodes and it kills him <laughs> unless he goes to a diner for some more bacon then it just fades to black yeah. but I think another show has already done that So yeah I think you might be right actually yeah now we can talk about season five some of my favorite bits in the whole show on season five um, yeah. we haven't talked about the incredible montages there's a bit with the song crystal blue persuasion mm -hmm. which is by tommy james and the chandelles i think and it's the montage sequence where uh, walter white and his new guy who i do not trust at all todd todd i don't mm. like him with his anyway scarily connected prison jailbird uncle who can stab people to death yeah uh, yeah, and yeah, it's that, interesting. That montage is an absolute mindfuck. Um, but yeah, the, when they're learning how to, when he's teaching him how to cook, and he's not cooking as well as Jesse, he's cooking competently, but not as well as Jesse. That's a really good montage for me. The yeah. individual cooking montages. There's a weird kind of vicarious pleasure you With take the, in seeing uh, these men make yeah. very, very dangerous drugs. That's a montage where they're they're cooking all over Albuquerque and then under this cover of the new tents, and you see this wonderful shot of of you know essentially the whole of the of the town and all these tents going up over houses all over the place, which is. Which is fantastic. I love the show's visual style. I always have. It's it's it doesn't feel like a TV show. It's obviously quite quite an expensive show. Very very well shot. 
Yeah, by by a lot of people who actually are started off as writers in the show and then graduated to uh, to, uh, to becoming directors on the show as well, which is which is fantastic to see, as well as bringing in people like Ryan Johnson and whatnot. So how um, many episodes has he done? He's done two. I asked him recently, would he do a third? And he said he doesn't think he'll it'll work out. Right. So obviously there's eight episodes left. I think Vince Gilligan's a very loyal guy, and I think if he wants to give relatively speaking he wants to give these episodes to people who kind of grew up with the show so to speak and um, I would be very very surprised if he didn't direct at least one or two of the of the last uh, last remaining episodes probably the end uh, the the series finale as they say in the states there's also some really good point of view shots uh, that get scattered across and it's like what we're saying about Jane's mural on the bear there are loads of little touches that just get snuck in for example in every single season uh, one, two, three, four not five from what we've seen so far his windscreen gets broken yes on that dreadful car what the hell is that car it's like a shoe yeah one of the interesting things is I, I read an interview with Vince Gilligan where he was talking about how al- he hasn't planned this all out from the beginning this yes. isn't like one long story arc that he sat down and, and wrote the whole thing before and the uh the twist at the eight episode point, you know, the 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 last we saw with Hank in the toilet, finding uh, a certain something in a book, that came up quite, quite late on in the process. Like they introduced the book well before he thought of that, so he's kind of they're digging themselves out of corners as they go, which is fascinating. yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it it's entirely possible, and they they have started that that great opening to season five with the bacon with fifty two machine gun, <laughs> and they have no idea how they're going to get there. There's a great joke actually uh, in the fifty uh, first birthday episode, which is in season five, where I think it's Marie says, "Oh wow, can you really believe it's been a year since your last birthday? So much has happened, and it's just it's 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 a very <laughs> it's a very funny slide joke because obviously more than a year has passed in terms of production time, but yeah. uh, somehow we're meant to believe in just a single year he's been diagnosed with cancer, has uh, gone in the drug business to an extraordinary scale has had all these scrapes all the, you know he's come close to death on so many occasions he's killed people now in cold blood yeah. he's poisoned a, a young boy with, with a plant there is a sense of unreality it's, reality doesn't really creep in there's no yeah. pop culture references particularly you never see them watching you know apart from Scarface which is and an Heat old as well and, and Mike was watching a, a couple of old movies as well so right. this is like Lost they don't just drop that crap in there no they certainly don't but uh, you know, unlike Lost, to, to segue uh, clumsily, <laughs> I think one of I think one of the reasons that this show has hit as hard as it has is that it's leaving with people wanting more, which I cannot say enough is so rare in the world of TV, isn't it? For for yeah. a show to wrap itself up when it's at its peak, and this is a show that's just breaking into the mainstream now, really. Apart from obviously the inevitable Christmas special, <laughs> Saul and Saul's uh, Private Eye spin-off, a very Heisenberg Christmas. It's gonna be, it's, it's gonna oh, be look at my stocking, more meth. I love the I love Saul's big black bodyguard guy. He's oh yeah, he, he has yeah. like two scenes, but I find him very funny. But um, no, I mean the X Files, which. Vince Gilligan seems to have learned the lesson from that that you just wrap it up and you have mm. to get out while people still want more and Breaking Bad is going to be celebrated for, for decades um, absolutely I've got a feeling the next eight episodes are going to be amazing sort of you know watch through your fingers television there are lots of questions that need to be answered for example what's happening to uh, what I believe has been properly called uh, Chekhov's rice and cigarette which is the uh, this notion that Chekhov had or if you introduce a gun early on in, the, in, a, in a play movie whatever then it must go off in the third act and uh, there's been a lot of talk about this rice and cigarette which is still out there and this could still kill someone silently without them knowing about it so he moved it two or three times because he's hiding it I think currently behind the electricity socket indeed yes yeah you're right I'd forgotten about that you know, is that going to end up in Holly's food? Is that going to end up on Walt Jr.? Is it going to end up in in, in, in in Walt's food? Who knows? Who knows? And also, well, what do we want to see happen with Jesse ultimately? Because at the moment, as things stand, Jesse is out. He has five million. He could leave. He could go anywhere he wants right now. But however, Hank, as we know, is about to be very heavily on Walt's trail. And he has a hard-on uh, in, the, uh, in the cop sense for Jesse Pinkman and I think he'll drag him back into the investigation and I think that could ultimately end to Jesse's demise what do you what do you think I think you're right I don't see how how this doesn't kick off in the in the very first episode in the next batch oh if gremlins turn up then uh, <laughs> could be even more amazing uh, but it's going to be action packed I think there's a lot to squeeze into eight episodes yeah. I frankly have no idea what it is but I imagine they're going to be pretty pretty plotty um, but yeah what's Hank going to do is he going to is he going to confront these guys straight away or is he going to I don't know, because he's been played like a fool. 
big time for years. He has. There, there have been moments when Walt has has come so close to discovery by Hank. I mean, there was that moment where uh, I think Hank was helping him move house, and there was a bag literally stuffed with about five hundred thousand dollars of cash. And, and Walt actually says, "Oh, what do you got in here?" And he goes, five hundred thousand dollars in cash." And he goes, <laughs> oh, well, of course. Oh, he's only kidding. But then all those moments now are going to go cascading through Hank's head. Well, what about the, you, son of a bitch? What about the bit where he came in my office and then I went off and made him coffee? Yes, five times. And but he cried he, twice. Whatever, yeah. Here's the complexity of the situation for Hank. Um, and I was going to ask earlier on: Has Hank had an inkling all along and never acted on it because, or purposefully ignored it because he's his kind of just yeah, he's he's my brother-in-law. But do you think there's an element of that? And also. We're getting we're getting to a point here. Can he actually investigate Walt, given that his superior at the DEA was effectively uh, pensioned off because he was so close to Gus Fring? Uh, Walt and Hank are even more. It's a very good point. Very good point. Um, Will Hank have to do some street justice? Yeah, exactly. Will, Will he, he have to go yeah. private eye? Kind of. Will he have to take care of these guys? Can Hank actively investigate someone who paid for his physical the- rehab after he was shot by the cousins? Can he do that? Also, could you, as a police officer, a man who takes sincere pride in your work, suddenly go, oh, by the way, the guy who's been stringing me along by my nose hairs for five years or yeah. however long? He's I mean, my brother-in-law. He's he, been under my nose the entire time. the same time. What, his superiors are not going to believe that he wasn't involved, that he wasn't involved on some level. That, for me, would be the amazing twist that they do, where Walt, in a moment of sheer Machiavellian genius, goes, by the way, I've been planting drugs in your wherever. I'm going to make you complicit. If you try to get it on me, I will break apart your family. I will tell them everything or blah 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 blah. that kind of Machiavellian haha got you by the balls that will be good mm. yeah I mean I don't think Hank would take that no he'd kick off there'd be shotguns before dawn so we'll or maybe see. maybe it's all a, a red herring who knows maybe he'll knock off Hank by episode 3 there'll be, <laughs> be a new big bad who knows I'd like to see it finish exactly like the X-Files episode where Brian Cranston drives west and then his head explodes <laughs> um, <laughs> and on that, that grim note <laughs> Indeed. There you go. If you're listening, Vince Gilligan. I, I think, yeah. Vince, because we the, know you are. 10%. Yes. <laughs> I will accept blue, blue meth. <laughs> okay, that is it from our Breaking Bad special. We're going to have uh, more special Empire podcasts coming up very, very soon. But until then, it is goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Ali. Hello, goodbye. It was goodbye from Dan, who had a hard out. And of course, it's goodbye from me. As Jesse Pinkman might say, podcasts, bitch. Podcasts, bitch.